Isn't it good to be here? Oh, that's good. I like that. We give a particularly warm welcome to the two Davids that are here tonight. We're going to have a good night. You know, as we were praying about this yesterday morning, in John 14, it says, uh, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And this person in a picture. And in this picture, there was all these different doors with different numbers on them. And it was for all the different denominations to go through, the Brethren, the Baptists, the Methodists. They were all going through these different doors. They thought they were going in a room to be in their own. They discovered as they got on the other side of the door, there was only one room. And they were looking at one another saying, what are you doing here? So you just want to turn to the person next and say, what are you doing here tonight? See, in the Father's house, there's only one room. Because there's only one family where sons and daughters were Christians. Denominations is something that's man-made. I remember when I first became a Christian, I, I went to different churches, and I just met with other Christians. I didn't know there was such a thing as a denomination. And we're the family of God here tonight, aren't we? Brothers and sisters in the Father's house. That's why we're here. So we want to be generous tonight. As a Scotsman, I love being generous. And we've got, careful, we've got some DVDs we'd like to give away free to any pastors or senior leaders here. You just stick your hand up. Any pastors or senior leaders in churches anywhere? Okay, guys, can you just hand out DVDs and things to... Or if there's anyone in a leadership team from a church who wants to take it back to their pastor... It's a DVD about the Elijah anointing, and there's a leaflet inside that explains briefly what that is, okay? That's for nothing. That's a good start, isn't it? Now, could the, the pastors, could you, you, you see there's a card here. We'd love everyone to fill this card in just with your details uh, so we can give you updates of what God is going to be doing over the next few months. And if you're a pastor or senior leader tonight, you receive one of these DVDs, can you please tick the box? You know, we live in a tick-boxing society, don't we? So we just want you to feel at home. Please tick the box, okay? And there's another leaflet here which is free, a values leaflet. This is to do with kingdom values. It's not so much for the church, it's from the church to get it out there to single mums in the business world, government organizations to change the culture in our nation in the workplace. And we encourage you to use this in your workplace. It's self-explanatory what to do with the leaflet. There's an introduction at the front, and there's instructions at the back. Very simple to use. It's already starting to spread around nationally. This is endorsed by Brian Binley, the Member of Parliament for Northampton South. Uh, he was suggesting he comes through a public launch, but the way it's going at the moment, we don't even need a public launch because God has just owned it because it's time for this in the nation. There's grace and favour released. Did you know that two months ago... 200 of the top bosses in the nation met with the Archbishop of Westminster to talk about ethics and values. And they want to incorporate values into the leadership training. And there's lots of other stories I could tell you. I don't have time to do that tonight. But the business world is looking for a set of values. And there's a vacuum in our nation and it's the responsibility of the church to rise up at this time and say, hey, we've got something that can bless you, 
Because when people feel valued and appreciated, they work hard and businesses prosper. Isn't that good? That's the wisdom of God. Very simple. It's the wisdom of God. So please spread that around, completely free of charge. Well, it's good to be here tonight. Who was here when the, the prophets came to town the first time around 1999? That's good. That's good. There's a lot of you weren't here. So in 1999, four prophets came into town. Martin Scott, Big David Matthews, Big Irish David, David Devlish and David Carr. And they prophesied about the Elijah anointing coming upon the whole church in Northamptonshire. And we're just going to read out an abridged version of that prophecy. Paul. Good evening. Um, for anybody who doesn't understand Brian's accent and hasn't got a clue what he's just said for the last five minutes, I, I'm happy to give an interpretation. I got... You just need it's the interpretation of the tongues. Um, <laughs> I'm used to that. Uh, okay, um, Paul, I'm Paul Worth. Just introduce myself. I run Forefront Baptist Church. We meet on what I call the Wild West side of town, St Crispin's, and uh, this is a, an abridged version of uh, sort of kind of the essence of this prophecy that came in 1999. God wants to make Northamptonshire and Elijah County. And Elijah County is a place which prepares the way for God to come, just like the spirit of Elijah on John the Baptist. Northamptonshire is going to be a preparation county for what God is going to do. You are to lay hold of that call on you, lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of you. There are different things that different places are called to do. It's a mystery. Why this place? Why that place? God is saying that Northamptonshire has an important place in his geography as a place of preparation, a place that is a forerunner that prepares. To do that, forerunners require faith and authority. God wants to say to you, that you are therefore to be a people of faith and keep going, even when the fullness hasn't come. You are in authority because you are those that hold the rule of God and are to exercise it in your situations around the world. Amen. Wasn't that good? That was to you, by the way. Not just say to the person next to you, that was to you. There needs to be ownership of these things. That was to you. That was to you. Very important. Ownership. It's not fatalism. It's prophecy. Hallelujah. Actually, we prayed about this since 1999, and uh, nothing much happened then. About 12 or 18 months ago, we took it off the shelf as a leadership team, and uh, we felt it was time for God to do something about it. And... Uh, Back in February, March this year, we believe God said, well, invite the prophets back to do a follow-up. And a few weeks after that, Adam and Liz from Broadmead Baptist, they came round to see us and they were speaking about the same thing. Interesting, isn't it? And also to do a follow-up with a Father's Love Conference round about March next year because part of the Elijah anointing is to do with the Father's love and turn the hearts of children to fathers and fathers to children. 
And we began to meet and pray together. And then some others joined us, and they'll be coming up and just uh, sharing something here tonight. So God is doing something new, I believe, in this town and in this county. And his leadership teams from these five churches, we met about two weeks ago. There was about 30 of us. And there was a real love and, and heart and lots of laughter and fun and lots of the presence of God amongst us as we met for a breakfast. It was an amazing time. And that was just a sign to us that God is doing something new in our day in this place. And it's now time for this to move to another level. And we praise and thank God for that. But we are part of something big that God is doing and is about to do in our nation. We're not the whole answer. We're only a part of it. But we've got to take hold of our piece of the jigsaw. And what we want to do now, we want to show you a prophetic word that was spoken on the 20th of October, and it came from the International House of Prayer in Kansas, and it was brought by the worship leader there, a lady called Julie Mayer. So please listen to this word and watch this on the screens. And he's got his eyes on Europe. He's got his eyes on Europe, Europe, Europe. Even this morning, I can see the bridegroom dancing, dancing. He's making his plans. He's making his plans. He's making his plans. His eyes are on Europe. His eyes are on Europe. He's going to dance all over the land. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to set the captives free. free. And it's going to start in Britain. The Lord says, keep your eyes on Britain. Keep your eyes on Britain. Britain, Britain, Britain. There's something greater. There's something greater coming to Great Britain. There's something greater than John Wesley. There's something greater. God, 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 the bridegroom. He's going to dance all over the land. It's going to start in Britain. And that which John Wesley started, oh, you're part of the great, great storyline, Britain. And it's not over. It's getting bigger, it's bigger, it's bigger, it's bigger. You're not left out, Europe. You're not left out, Europe. I'll make you a sign and a wonder and a wonder and a sign for the nations are mine, for Europe is mine, for the nations are mine, are mine. So keep your eyes on Britain. Keep your eyes on Britain. It's going to start in Britain like a wildfire, like a wildfire, like a wildfire, like a wildfire. It's unstoppable. It's unstoppable because I'm God and I choose you. What do you say to that? Last Sunday we just said, wow. See, I think we should listen to that because the house of prayer, they have been praying and praising God for 24 hours a day for years. So I think they're slightly tuned into heaven. And that lines up with, uh, with other prophetic words that God has brought, particularly one that we want to read out to you. 
Thank you, Brian. I was just reflecting that 13 years ago, I was sat at the back, and and now I'm sat at the front. I don't know what uh, what happened. <laughs> this is a, a prophecy given by Smith Wigglesworth just before he passed away in 1947. He was known as a prophet of faith, moved in mighty signs and wonders, and even raised people from the dead. And shortly before he passed into glory, he prophesied the following. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it, and it will be characterized by the restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historical churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence in the churches of something that has not yet been seen before a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. And when the word and spirit come together, there will be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that has been witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow from the United Kingdom to mainland Europe and from there will begin a missionary movement to the ends of the earth. Praise God. Praise God. That's without prophetic word said from Eidhop, didn't it? From Britain to Europe, the Wigglesworth prophecy from Britain to Europe. You know, we've got the privilege of coming to the kingdom for such a time as this, haven't we? It's not just a privilege, it's also a responsibility. And we need to be a responsible people and take responsibility for these things that God speaks for our town and for our nation. And uh, we're about to show you uh, a video that we made about the Elijah anointing. And part of that is that Paul read out, you are to lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of you. That means each one of us needs to lay hold of it and pray into it and take steps towards the fulfillment of it. Prophet is just, it doesn't just happen. The steps would be just towards it. So could we show the Elijah video, please? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and us. He is the creator God. He is the sovereign Lord God Almighty. He is working out his plans and purposes across the nations of the earth. He determines the times, the seasons, the places, the ways in which he moves by his Holy Spirit. And he will do this until the arrival of the great day spoken of by John in the book of Revelation. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth had passed away. Behold, the home of God is now amongst his people, and he will live with them. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more sorrow or crying or pain or death, for the former things have passed away. The day that John spoke of is coming. God is preparing us for what he's going to do. 
He is speaking to us. He's raised up prophets to stir us to action. He's raised them up to bring a word to Northamptonshire. And through them, he has declared that he wants to make Northamptonshire an Elijah County. Just as God brought the spirit of Elijah upon John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus, God desires Northamptonshire to be a place which prepares the way for him. He desires Northamptonshire to be a preparation county, a place that prepares for what God is going to do. Our county has an important role in God's geography. Northamptonshire is to be a forerunner, and forerunners have authority. They hold the rule of God and exercise that authority. Forerunners require faith, and God wants us to be a people of faith. We're to keep going, even when the fullness of what we're looking for has not yet come. God is saying to Northamptonshire, lay hold of this call on you. Lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of you. Now is the time to lay hold of this prophetic word. Now is the time to press into it. In scripture, the anointing of Elijah was passed on to his servant Elisha, the next generation, and on to John the Baptist, a future generation. And Malachi prophesied the same anointing will come again before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of this Elijah anointing is to turn people's hearts to God, just as it did when Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Our challenge is to pursue the Elijah anointing that has now come upon Northamptonshire. Our challenge is to lay hold of that for which God has laid hold of us, and to begin to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we up for the challenge? Wow, hallelujah. Don't be too British on us, you know. Good evening, everyone. How you doing? Yeah? Good. My name is Marcus. Um, I'm one of, the, one of the ministers at St. Giles Church in Northampton. Um, can I have a little whoop from Northampton people? Yeah, that's it. That's all I want. That's great. And um, Adam, who was up here before me, forgot to say who he was. So, this stand up, Adam. This is Adam Eakins from Broadmead. He's not going to get told off. Can we have a yeah whoop for Adam? There you go. That's great. I think I've got a reading that I'm going to read in a moment. But just one of the things that I suppose for myself, I've not been in Northampton that long. Um, I've been here a few years, um, and I'm in church leadership at St Giles Northampton. One of the things that's already been happening um, that I, I I sense God really is doing, is bringing together in a whole new way leaders of churches within within the town and, and within the county. And that in itself, straight away, uh, certainly for me, is a really good thing. And we're not just meeting because it's been an organized meeting that we have to do, and it's like, oh no, you know, here we are meeting at 10 o'clock on a Thursday, and it's all a bit dull. But actually, there's a, there's a sense of fun, and there's a sense of the Holy Spirit, and a real sense of laughter and excitement about um, staying open to what God is doing. Is that okay? I've gone off script here. Is that okay? Good. Okay. So I've got my sermon, and uh, 
Or am I joking? Um, <laughs> right. We have a reading, which is um, from Malachi, and has already been mentioned. So Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. David, thank you. Great to have you here. Well, it's great to be here again. Uh, I do remember the time when we came together before. And prophetic messages come in different forms. So last time when we were here, and there were four of us, the primarily what we brought were prophetic words in the way that have been quoted uh, earlier in this meeting. And so sometimes God brings a prophetic word in a, as if it's God speaking format, in order to arrest our attention. However, that's not all that prophets did. They also were prophetic teachers, which means they open up God's word and apply it prophetically to the current situation. Now, I don't know what David's going to do. We're tagging with this um, as long as he's ready to catch the baton when I run down. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, what I want to do is really prophetic teaching with very real application for your situation here. And so, and the other thing I want to say is the Bible is brilliantly honest about the failings of the servants of God. Now, uh, so... This is what it says in 1 Kings 19. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely, not God, the gods, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. That's one of the prophets of Baal that was slain by Elijah. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. That's my theme. <laughs> I know you came all this way, many of you travelling from all over this massive county. Uh, <laughs> Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. <laughs> I've had enough, Lord. Any of you said that? I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. <laughs> Actually, 
This is the reality of massive anointing upon frail human flesh. And this is actually an encouragement for you because you know this frail human flesh. You know that. Most of you don't come here today living lives of 100% victory all the time. You don't. We're like Elijah. The anointing is what God did upon him through him despite frail human weakness. And if God's going to move in Northamptonshire, if you have frail human weakness, hallelujah, you're qualified. Okay? I often say that my ordination certificate is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, God God chose the foolish things to shame the wise. Okay, I don't have any other ordination certificate. David will perhaps give me one one day. But, (laughs) but, (laughs) and so Elijah had just won a massive battle against the forces of darkness. He'd stood alone, and that's important. Elijah stood alone, but actually God's plan was for things to be accomplished with Elijah not standing alone, which is what this chapter is about, because Elijah was pretty weak, and he was weak because Jezebel, well, he was weak anyway, but that weakness was exposed when Jezebel threatened him. And Jezebel is a spirit referred to in the book of Revelation. It's immensely powerful, but not as powerful as our God. But that will oppose. And what the spirit of Jezebel does, it tries to manipulate, and it creeps into churches. Forgive the warning creeps into churches and tries to manipulate, tries to control. The essence of the Jezebel spirit is controlling. And it leads to sexual immorality. It manifests tremendous anger when crossed. And it brings depression. Now, that... You came here for a victory word. Well, you'll get there. But actually, we have to face this. And we, and so weak human flesh, a spirit of Jezebel that opposes, seeks to manipulate church leadership. Doesn't just, it works through either sex. Spirit of Jezebel is not a female thing, though Jezebel was a woman. Spirit of Jezebel works through either men or women, who instead of functioning out of anointing, function out of manipulation. Even leaders can do that. And often when, and often that leads to sexual immorality. And none of us are exempt from that. And yet, the spirit of Jezebel leading to sexual immorality can cripple the move of God that is represented 
by this and is representative of what God wants to do in this city and county. And I, I, feel, I, I just felt when I was praying about this, this is what I should bring to you, that this will be opposed and it will be imposed that way and if it can trap, up, trap people who otherwise were standing firm as Elijah was in depression or sexual immorality, whatever it was, Elijah it was depression, it wasn't sexual immorality, but sometimes that's what it is with the spirit of Jezebel, but with Elijah it was depression. And he says, he just won a victory, then he got depressed. And he just lay down. What then happened? Well, first, he had an encounter with the grace of God. It, that's, you know, this is not, what we're bringing to you is not triumphalism, it's not we're going to take the world. Sometimes we use expressions that I understand, but are not fully biblical. You know, we don't take it all in that sense. But we receive the grace of God. He lay down. He says, I'm worse. I'm not better than any of my ancestors. Take my life. And then God says, here's some food and here's some drink. Just enjoy me for a while. Didn't rebuke. Didn't try and sort him out, didn't say, yeah, Jezebel's horrible, isn't she? He just said, though she is, he just said, come on, have a rest. You know, it's okay to have a rest. It's okay in ministry, in church life, to have a rest. Receive the grace of God. So it's all by his power anyway. If he uses me again, because he'd use him mightily on Mount Carmel, if God was to use him again, that's by the grace of God. He doesn't have to use us again. <laughs> but by the grace of God, he does. And by the grace of God, he's going to give a fresh impetus to all that you have been praying for and all that's been represented by the first part of this meeting. By the grace of God, he's going to give you impetus to do it. But first, enjoy the grace of God, because you won't do it without it, because you're frail human flesh threatened by Jezebel. Understand? So, first, the angel just gave him a cake of bread, a jar of water, he ate and drank, and then lie down again. <laughs> this is your victorious Christian life. Then says the angel of God came to him a second time and said, eat and travel to the mountain. Now he'd done miraculous travel before. He ran faster than Ahab's chariot. Now he just had to get to the mountain. Then... Go to a cave. The Lord came to him and says, What are you doing, Elijah? He says, I'm very zealous for God. I'm the only one left. God wants to bring correction to that. You see, Elijah was a loner. That had its place to pioneer and bring victory to God's people. 
Loners have their place, but it's not God's ideal. Okay. There are sometimes breakthrough moments which requires a loner, someone who, some of the revivals have been started by loners who just stood out there like Evan Roberts and people like that. They just broke out. But actually, God's long-term purpose is not loners. So though that breaks the ground, it doesn't produce everything that God wants to do in his kingdom purposes. You understand? And, uh, and so the Lord said to Elijah, what have you been doing? I've been very zealous. I'm the only one. God said, okay, I'll pass by. You want God to come? You've been singing, isn't it? By the way, So first, there was a mighty wind. Surely that's God. God wasn't in the wind. God doesn't work the same way every time. Historic revivals are a spur to faith, but not a precedent to how God will work. We have to find the will of God and the moving of God for our generation. Very important. The wind came. God wasn't in the wind. Then, there was a mighty earthquake. Imagine all this happening. He's in his cave. Wind, earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. Then a fire. Oh yeah, God's in the fire. Salt Elijah. He was in a fire last time. Last time Elijah saw God's miraculous intervention, it was by fire. So surely God must be in the fire. After all, that's what he did last time. And even in our history of the moves of God in our day, without going back into history, um, without going into long-term history, even in our own days, since the the 19, late 60s and 70s, and God's pouring out his spirit upon the church and f- waking up the rest of the church to what he'd done amongst Pentecostals uh, uh, 60, 70 years before. But at that time, in the 60s, he worked differently from how he did in the Pentecostals in the early part of the century. We honor that. We always honor those who've gone before. We say, God, how are you doing it this time? So even in our history, and sometimes people get stuck even in the manifestations of the power of God. And there's a danger in the charismatic church of that at the moment, which could miss what God does next. Because God worked in a certain way in the 90s, particularly through Toronto and so on. And I honor that. I I received from it. I was mighty blessed by it. I did all sorts of crazy things by it, but it's not now. It's not the way. You understand? It's not in the fire. But he was in the fire last time. It was only a few weeks ago he was in the fire. And he came down upon the offering with fire. Wasn't long ago. Don't you remember, God? You came by fire last time. 
but he wasn't in the fire. Then, and he's not in the mobile telephones either, but... <laughs> oh, dear. Then it says, there was a soft, gentle whisper. I remember Ken Gott saying, do you remember Ken Gott? uh, One of our Bible weeks that we used to run. And he said he'd gone to an Anglican charismatic meeting. And the person leading the meeting said, come Holy Spirit. And Ken said, I was a Pentecostal. I said, God didn't even hear that. (laughs) But he came. (laughs) You understand? (laughs) It was a soft, gentle voice. That was the prophetic message for them. Not the fire, not the wind, not the earthquake. Not how God worked previously, but in a soft, gentle voice. We must, I believe we've heard God with those prophecies. I believe God was speaking to you then. I believe there is a part for the churches of Northamptonshire to play. By the way, it's the churches of Northamptonshire. It's not just Northamptonshire. It's very important to say that. There is a purpose of God for the churches in Northamptonshire to fulfill in his mighty purposes. He'll have other purposes for others. But be careful. Hear what God is doing now. As I met with the, for a cup of tea with the leaders of the churches here, I thought, yeah, this is what God's doing now. Not the same as it was. So it's a soft, gentle voice. Never missed it. God in a soft, gentle voice. Does God whisper? Yes, he does. And this next phase, I believe, is characterized by God whispering so that people who are alert hear what he's saying, not what he used to say. Do you understand? It's consistent with his character, but his character is fire and it's a soft, gentle voice. And what did he say? He says, spread the anointing. The Elijah anointing was to be spread. He said, go and anoint. First of all, when God spoke in this soft, gentle voice, he said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah's still wasn't getting the point. By the way, Elijah's missed the point sometimes. And he replied, as he did before, I've been very zealous, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He's a loner. God said, time for loners is over, Elijah. Go and anoint Jehu, son of Nimshai, king over Israel, So go and anoint Hazael, king over Aram, 
Jehu, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloah to succeed you as prophet. It's time to multiply the anointing. The Elijah anointing isn't a few lone individuals who break out. It's a spread. It's a spread. God wants to raise up many. It's many in these days. It's new covenant. This is like an anticipation of the new covenant. Old covenant anointing was the Spirit of God came on, on special people at special times for special tasks. New Testament anointing. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. This is New Testament anointing. It's spread. It's powerful. It's each one moving in it. You know, it's not looking to the platform. It is at all of us embracing what God has for us in his spirit and living and fulfilling that. Many Christians still have an old covenant view of anointing. Now, God gives leadership still. These are all leaders here. But then he said, and there's 7,000. You're the only one left, Elijah. There's 7,000. What does this teach? It's next generation and it's the whole church. That's what the anointing's for. Next generation leadership, because we still need leadership. Next generation, Elisha. I'm not going to go into Elisha now, but it's important. Next generation, the soft, gentle voice is saying, let the next generation arise. The soft, gentle voice is saying, let it be multiplied. Let those who can deal with the problem be multiplied there. In those days, it was dealing with Ahab and Jezebel and those who served Baal. Now it's different. It's it's bringing the transforming grace of God to a needy world. That's the purpose now. Again, we will be careful with applying Old Testament scriptures. We apply it in a new covenant context. So we're still battling, but we're battling to see the grace of God extended and transforming the societies of which we're part. Not a condemnatory word. I didn't come to condemn the world, but the world might be saved. So that's what it is. But what Elijah was saying, what God was saying to Elijah was, you're not on your own. Here's three other great leaders. Next generation, king of Aram, king of Israel, king and and prophet in your place. Now, one comforting thing for Brian, David and myself is that the Elijah still carried on ministering for a long time. Okay? (laughs) It wasn't that somehow, because there's a... There's a wrong view of this in the world, which somehow is you give it away to the next generation and you clear off somewhere, yeah. But no, it's not. It's, it's hearts of the children to the parents. It's generations moving together. But it's not just the loner. It's generations, including the next generations, flowing together in the purposes of God. Because for a long time, Elijah and Elisha actually went together. But next generation was involved. Other people were involved. And so it's next generation leadership and it's the 7,000 
That is the whole body of Christ who haven't given way to evil, but actually themselves will enjoy the anointing and will win the victory as they don't buy bow the knee to Baal and the equivalent today. So it's that. It's, a, it's next generation and it's the whole church moving together. Please look at it that way. Don't look at it as a few special people. Don't look at the Elijah anointing. The purpose of it is to be passed on. Not that it's just Elijah. That's the whole point of it. And though I can't finally prove this from Scripture, and therefore I'm always reluctant to say it, there seems to be this. The, before the first coming of the Messiah, there was an Elijah, John the Baptist. That's clear. But that Scripture that was read from Malachi also speaks of it before the second coming. Is that one person? I think not. I think it is a prophetic people that live in the light of what God is doing. It's the whole church being an Elijah church. Okay, that's the point. The 7,000... Drop something. Okay. (laughs) The whole church involved. And I just want to say to you, I believe this is, this is prophetic teaching. It's not, it's not a prophetic word in the sense that we had it last time. But it is amplifying it to make sure, otherwise we could have a distorted view of what the Elijah anointing is. It is a soft, gentle voice. It's different from before. It recognizes the frailty of who we are. Human flesh attacked by Jezebel. Who gets depressed? Well, we get depressed. It's a soft, gentle voice, not as it was before. And it is to be spread out to others. Next generation leadership and the whole church. That is what you need to hear in the churches in Northamptonshire. But you also need to hear some more because David's going to share with you. I'm going to speak on depression. (laughs) But to answer your question, David, seriously, yes, I will ordain you. Genuinely. As a proper ordination. And make you a canon. Seriously. Because we need people like you in what we're trying to do. Like trying to get this on. I can ordain people, but I can't put these on. Sort that out. You will find, if you wonder what that is there, this is, this is something from God which is bringing Christians and churches together in what we're talking about today. We're just under about 2 million people in three years now. And we're having leaders from all the main churches. And, we, and it's not another stream or covering, it's a lifestyle which unites us for purpose. Patroned by the Archbishop of York, Jay John was one of our first leaders. And we're back in Northampton in the 8th of May when Jay John... And um, Chris Bowalsh and myself are coming to try and get all the leaders of the region to tell you what the Order of St. Leonard is. We have been accepted by about six or seven different denominations as their people can join. It's for leadership and for all people. So if you're a leader, there's a pack for you, a full pack. And if you're part of a church, there's a DVD for you, explains it. And we're just waiting now for recognition from the uh, Anglicans. 
new wine are in discussions with us. And it is a, a panacea of people to work with each other without any robbing of their covering or calling. In fact, you can't join unless your leadership of your church or denomination say that they're prepared to let you join and you take your covering from your denomination. But it's bringing those unity together. And we're seeing God great things. We've just come back from Uganda, David has, and Congo, and Rwanda, and Burundi, and uh, 15 denominations have joined. And we have 1.7 million in Kenya. Uh, about 100 denominations have joined and now Tanzania are coming on board and we're going to Islamic, Islamic Pakistan because they, the Christians there want to join and we've had rumours from India want us to go where the, um, where the um, untouchables are getting born again and they are, can't read and write and they're raising the dead and healing the sick. They need covering and they need some form of licence. We're going there. A, a very rich man has built a whopping great thing. It's like a temple but it's a church and he's called it the Cathedral of St. Leonard, and he is giving that to us. And we've got um, information coming that people from um, uh, other ex-communist countries want to join, and there's rumours, there's interest in China. Wow. Uh, so this could spread all over the world, and every country, they're autonomous. There's no hierarchy. It's pure relationship. I'll just tell you this because it, it does bend on what we're doing. When we were in Kenya... They said, our problem is we've got three major tribes and 100 denominations and we can't work together. They started the community of St. Leonard. We set up a board with them. And the first thing they did, first thing they did, was a six-year-old girl got raped badly and everybody knew who did it and the police wouldn't arrest them. That afternoon they'd started, they sent a representative of 1.7 million, 5,000 churches and said to the police chief, we come from the community of St. Leonard. It's everything from Catholic to Pentecostal. Anybody in their denominations who passionately loves Christ. There's no compromise of doctrine. It's those in those four streams, charismatic, evangelical, um, liturgical, and sacramental who love God. Some of the denominations we wouldn't mix with, but there's some great men and women of God in there. And they said, we demand you at least arrest that man and put him on trial according to law, or we're going to go directly to Nairobi and report you to the premier. The man was, was arrested in an hour. They came together, and they raised money to support the family. Then there has been mighty floods there in this last quarter. People were completely left with only their blanket, with their children starving in the street. And all the churches of St. Leonard, and it was in the national paper, the nation fails these people, but St. Leonard meets their need. And they all came together, regardless of their labels, under the one banner, took lorries in and fed all the poor. In Bulgaria, the Orthodox Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Evangelicals, are feeding the poor for the first time in history under the order of St. Leonard. So that's what that's about, if you want to look at that. So I was saying that quite seriously. Yes, men of God who do not have credentials and will need them in this country very shortly. Yes. If you don't have them as a qualification of competence, you will not be able to minister. So we believe we're also there, not as a Mickey Mouse organization, but those who can prove that they are men and women of God who have been properly trained and those who have got a proof of their calling, we will ordain them, which is fully authentic, they have to have proper interviews, but then we ordain them, as I'm an Anglican bishop, we ordain them, and they're properly ordained. And even though we don't feel we need that, the law will say we need it. And so, you know, if, if that's ever right with you, David, I mean that seriously, I would gladly and every time give you that qualification in this world we live in. This theme we're talking about, <coughs> let me <coughs> bring out of this 
wonderful prophetic word, that which we've not already said, because a lot of what I could have said was in there. The first thing I want to say is this. We don't know anything about Elijah. The first time we see him is in a miraculous situation. We do not know what qualified him to go into that palace. You don't just walk into palaces. We forget that. You don't just walk up and say, good morning, I'm a prophet, I want to see the king. Oh, stop, I've been waiting for you to come. What's your name? <laughs> Elijah, that's it. I knew it started something to do with eh. He couldn't read and write in those days. It was eh, all right? He walks in and says, hi, king. Hi, Jez. Just come to give you a message. Good news, bad news. Good news, it's a good time to take a holiday. Bad news, it ain't going to rain. And it's not going to rain till I tell you. Because God says, you're in trouble. Big trouble. Now he's sitting there with the greatest man in the world who could kill him at a moment, Jezebel, who absolutely has got a personality problem, as you said. Man, if you married to her, mate, you'd want to go national service, I'll tell you. You'd want to serve in Afghanistan. You'd put your name down. And he confronts her. And he said, it won't rain until I say so. Okay, good day. And walks out. Now, now we look at this and we think it's funny. But how on earth did he get in and how did he get out? I mean, you say that to somebody and they go, yeah, all right. See you, lad. Give us a phone when you're ready. When it's ready to rain, let us know, will you? All right? All right. I mean, he's meat, isn't he? But he walks in and he walks out. What is God saying in that? Very simple. Don't dwell on your past. Because your past will never get you into your future. How do I know that? Because when Jesus started to minister, he said, this is but a carpenter's son. And they despised him because they looked at his past and they didn't look at his present. And they had no idea of his future. And it's no good you as congregations and churches and people dwelling on your past, either your great past or your sad past, but because your past is not going to get you into your future. And if you cannot worry about your past, I didn't say deal with it, because we'll see in a moment you've got to. But if you don't worry about your past, then God will get you in where you can't get in and he'll get you out where nobody can get you out of. So he's one of the few men we know nothing about until he turns up. And if God had have felt it was valuable, we would have known it. And there has to come a time in this county when you draw the line over this church didn't get on with this church and this church, and this church started because they split from that church and this did from that church and our history has always been and when we've done things together in the past this has always happened and historically we've never done this with the Catholics and of course the Anglicans have never done this before and we've tried this before but it's always failed. There has to come a time where if you're going to get into where you can't get in and come out of where you can't get out you've got to draw a line under it and say there is no past. Now those aren't just great fun words, those are real words. It took us 40 years in our town to do this. It sounds funny, but it wasn't. I was an arrogant Pentecostal. I came into town, 800 years our town's been in existence, never been a Pentecostal church in 800 years. I go in there, 
And I'm one of these, my golly, if only you knew the truth like I knew the truth. The truth that sets you free because I'm free and you're not. Look here, you miserable lot. You know, you're all, you're all High Church of England. You know, smells and bells in you, Catholics. And look at you, snobs. Look at the lot of you. But I'm free. I'm full of grace and mercy. I mean, if I only had humility, I'd grab the set. And I don't know why, but the Church of England reacted badly. I don't know why. They, now listen, this is true. This is, this, is in, this is in 1970. They posted in every Anglican church in the town a pew slip saying that I was a heretic and that anybody seen associating with me would be publicly excommunicated. Now, seriously now, it dawned on me not long ago, if this had happened 300 years ago, I'd have been burnt in the market square. <laughs> I could see by, by faith a plaque on the wall. First Pentecostal minister, burnt. <laughs> and all the Pentes would have been bringing redemption hymnals and lying it underneath. <laughs> what a thing. I mean, I was I mean, obnoxious. So a lovely missionary family from the English people who worked in Nigeria, missionary family actually came to one of our services and in the morning service, the vicar stood them up and excommunicated them from the Church of England, publicly. That was the weirdness we had in our town, absolute hatred. And we battled for years. That was the history. We had two or three house churches, and we all fought each. It was great. Because I was a leader, they thought that I was sinful because it's only corporate leadership. Because they hadn't got one, I thought that they were also in a boat without a paddle. And we had wonderful times that when we had churches together, all we did was sit in different chairs and sit opposite each other with our backs to each other. It was terrible. My God, I'd rather have my teeth out and go to a churches together. <laughs> and then I was praying that they would actually get right with God. <laughs> ever done that God if only they could see the truth and then God turned around to me and said can we go for a walk <laughs> now that's what God did with Elijah now don't laugh here because as David said he had his weakness God always gives you an opportunity to deal with it so here he is now He's the man on the block. He comes in. Woo, 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 woo. Won't rain till I say. Esther, la vista, baby. I will be back. He comes back out. As soon as he comes out, God says, let's go for a walk. Some of your most vulnerable times is when, it, when you're winning. When you're losing and things are going wrong, it can force you into the grace of God. But when you're winning, is your most dangerous time. Let me say this to you. When you say I'm going through a wilderness experience, your church is going through a wilderness experience, you're going through a wilderness experience, I've got to ask you this question. Before you went into it, were you at your height? Because if not, God hasn't put you in the wilderness. You're only taken into a wilderness when you are already moving in the spirit and God is perfecting you for the next stage. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. The children of Israel only had an 11-day journey from bondage into the promised land, and it took them 40 years. When they left, they were full of victory. They lost it in the wilderness. When people say, I'm in a wilderness at the moment, what they're really meaning is, I've lost contact with God. The wilderness is never for people who have lost contact with God. You get out or you're dead. You only go into a wilderness to perfect you for something better. Jesus, in the wilderness, tested 40 days, came out. Now, what was Elijah's problem? You heard it. Total fear of women. He could take on men, 400 men, macho man, but as soon as a woman spoke to him, and it wasn't just Jezebel, he was frightened of women. Don't laugh at this. I deal with a lot of men, very powerful men, who are absolutely petrified of women. Their marriages are in a mess. The wife despises him because she wished he'd stand up and he won't. She's having to take leadership in everything. There's a great issue of that in our nation today, even in churches. And to do with leadership, bullying, it's knowing who you are in Christ. And how does God deal with that? He takes this man who has appeared from nowhere, he's dealt with the past, no past, now he's in the present. He deals with that and he takes him in to prepare him for the future. So he's got no past, he's dealing in the present, he's preparing him for the future. There's got to come a time in the churches here where you settle with your past, you accept something good's happening in this present, but there's something better coming in the future. So you might have to be in the wilderness. So what does he do? He teaches him the source of provision outside of the palace. In the palace, he had all the finest food offered. Here's the provision now where called nothing unclean I've made. He feeds him by, and we forget these stories as being real, chunks of meat from a bird's mouth. You wouldn't touch that if you were starving. You see, why is he doing this? God's showing him what the need is in the nation. This is how the world live. They're eating every scrap they can get. You see, he was identified, Christ, in every suffering we wear. Elijah had to know what it was to be the lowest of the low. He lapped out of his hand, and God, drew, and, and God caused that to dry up. But then what he did to him was to confront him with his big weakness. He had to go and ask a woman who'd got less than he'd got to give her what she'd got. He had to go to that woman, knock her door, and overcome his fear of women. But he never retained it. And that's what cost him with Jezebel. And I want you to ask yourself as a church and as a person, have you let go of the victory he gave you in the issue of your life? Because he will never expose your issue without giving you the opportunity to overcome it. He never retained it. And I wonder sometimes in our churches, the blessing that God has done, the prophetic word he's spoken, which really set us free, we've let go, never wrote it down, never went back to it, never prayed over it, because sometimes as charismatics we want a new word every week. And we don't hold on to the victory we had ten years ago, five years ago. Build on it. So he moves on from there. Now you've heard what happened from Dave from that, so we won't talk about this. But let's pick it up again. Now he's with 
Elisha. Now comes the transfer of that anointing. It's interesting how he saw Elisha. Because if God's going to transfer it from leader to people, there's a sacrifice for the leader, there's a sacrifice for the people. Or as I used to say up north, you get out for now in this life. He walks up and he sees Elisha plowing. Let me say something here. You struggle to find in the Bible where God uses inactive people. When he called the disciples, he didn't turn around and find everybody sitting there playing Ludo. <laughs> he got a doctor who hadn't been struck off, a tax collector who hadn't been arrested, and fishermen who hadn't got a hole in the boat. <laughs> As we'd say in Birmingham, they're all grafters. And why would God use people who have got no ambition and no energy? Prove him in the natural and he'll use you in the supernatural. Because I will make you now fishers of... Because you're a good fisher of... No, I'm not being funny. You look at any great leader and say, were they good before they were good leaders, even if they were dustmen, if they were road sweepers, because an elder must have a good report from people outside. So all this about, will God use me in the ministry because I'm useless everywhere else? No. <laughs> And I'm not being rude. You don't have to be able to read and write. But if you're a dustman and you give up to be a full-time leader, all the people on your round should buy you a present. Because you don't drop any dirt on their drive. I'm serious. And there's not going to be a move of God in our nation upon this county unless we are producing people from the pew who are as excellent as what we expect from the pulpit. We have got to be the people like we used to be in the old days where they'd say, if you want a good job doing, go to a Christian. At the moment, that is not said in the nation. Because we've lost our integrity. So then. Elisha. He's plowing. Takes his cloak, the symbol of the anointing. Doesn't give it to him, gives him a taste. He doesn't say a thing to him. One of the, some of the greatest things is, have you ever had an argument with God and he's not spoke to you? <laughs> Anybody married? <laughs> ever had your wife look at you and you're answering her back and you've never said anything? She goes, yeah. and you go. Yeah. And she goes, and you go. And when you get home, you say to her, so what have I done wrong this time then? And she said, I never said a thing. You said, yes, you did. You said, I was going on too long. Yes, you did. Well, you were. Well, why say it to me when I'm preaching? Well, I didn't. I only looked at you. Yeah, but you said it to me. And some of the greatest conversations I've had with God is when he's never said a thing. It's his presence that has revealed who I am, who he is, and what I should be. His presence comes into the room. He doesn't have to say anything. Wow. 
He just threw the cloak on him. And he ran up and he said, um, excuse me, let me first go and bury my father. And he said, what am I to do to you? Well, I've not spoke to you, lad, shove off. Doesn't it sound hard, let me first go and bury my father? I mean, where's the compassion here? The poor guy, he's dropped dead. The co-op have come to pick him up. And all he wants to do is nip over, go there, down the old cemetery, and off he goes. No, read what it means. It means, let me stay here until my dad has died. I've got the inheritance, got the money in the bank. I've got my security, sold the farm, so my brother doesn't get his hands on it. And then I'm going to join the NFI team under David Bedford. I'm joking with you now, but listen to me again in the joke. If it doesn't cost you, as churches, to serve what God is calling you to do, you will not live in that anointing. There is a cost. Regardless of modern theology, there is a cost. Unless a man is prepared to, said Jesus... Elijah didn't talk him round, didn't say, all right, then let's make it a bit less. Let's make it two days a week and you can have a holiday in Marbella. <laughs> That's what we do for revolvers. All right, then, okay, then, a bit severe. So let's have a prayer meeting once a year, shall we? Don't upset you. He just said, what have I do with you? Go back. Next thing we know is, without him having another word with him, but coming before, you see, what am I saying? Good leadership brings you to God, but you have got to answer God yourself. Your leaders can get together and decide it's going to be good if we really work together for the good of... But if, but if you don't make that decision, it's only the leaders. And as soon as this man one day may go to another parish church, he might become a Mormon. Oh, sorry, moron. Sorry. And him, well, we ain't got a clue what's going to happen to him. But what I'm saying is, if the relationship is only in the leaders, if these leaders go, there's no relationship. They are there to represent you, to bring you into relationship with each other. You've got to make that decision yourself. So what he does without being spoken to again, he does something that Peter never did when he backslid and went back to his boat. He killed his source of dependency knowing he was not going to go back to it in the hard times. He made commitments he was not prepared to go back on. That's called marriage. That is true. That's the difference between being married and living with somebody. You make the commitment. So it's not just a case, come Holy Spirit, it's a case if he comes, who to? What for? What result? So now he follows him. He gives up a fantastic job. And the Bible tells us that he's got a great ministry. Do you know what he does? He washes blooming hands and feet, socks and pants. <laughs> How on earth is he going to learn anything? Well, bless God, you give up the job, you sold the farm, you're serving Holy Ghost man. So what's your part in the ministry? Well, get up in the morning. Yeah. Wash his hands. Right. And I wash his feet. Okay. And then I rub his pants. Yes. And I stick him on the line. And 
Yeah, that's it. That's it. At the moment. What am I saying in this? There comes a time when we're getting ready for the move of God. We seem to be doing things that don't seem to produce what we want and they seem mundane. So why are we bothering? Because we're not seeing the big things happen. They are a forming of character. That's it. Absolutely. If you will wash the feet of the poor and feed the poor and do things that doesn't exalt your church or yourself and you're prepared to do it for the good of God and the kingdom then he is forming a character that can tame that anointing. Thank you, Jesus. It gets worse. The time is coming now when the anointing is going to be transferred. All night prayer meetings, great worship times. Now comes not a choice. There are certain things in the Bible that are choice. Now, if you're one of these predestined, and if God says it's going to be revived on the 14th of July next year, whatever happens, it's got to happen. Well, you, that's fine. I'll come and see you on the 15th. <laughs> but a lot of things in the Bible are choose you this day. Yes, exactly. But God knows what you're going to choose anyway, so he's not going to be shocked if you go, oh, no, you didn't choose women bishops. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> when I went to bed last night, it says, God, I was certain there was going to be a woman bishop tomorrow. <laughs> we won't go into that. <laughs> Elijah said to Elisha this, not, not would you like to, he said, we are going to Gilgal. Gilgal is the place of circumcision. Now you women can only dream about the pain that a man <laughs> has to go through. Because I want to tell you, I've had kidney stones, but I've never, as a fully grown man, had a man without an anaesthetic get a knife and a pair of scissors and say, come here, son. There's something I want to discuss with you. It's quite painful. So if you ever wonder what it's like to be a man, it's very painful. And I always wondered, actually, apart from prophecy, how David knew that Goliath was an uncircumcised Philistine. That's a very personal thing to say to somebody. (laughs) No wonder Goliath was angry. (laughs) He came to David, and he went, you are an uncircumcised Philistine. Whilst I was so big, and his kilt being short, he, he may have noticed that. Or it could be that as David was circumcised, he walked like that. And Goliath walked like that. So he could have been. (laughs) But I do know. Oh, shut up. But I do know this. Elisha was going nowhere until he'd cut away the flesh. And Paul says, our circumcision is of the heart. And I want to say this, doesn't matter how much we laugh, how much blessing we have, the churches of this town that have been promised the anointing of God, churches, not just leaders, will not progress any further until they come before God and deal with the fleshiness that has brought the division 
up till now. There's no ifs or buts. There's not, well, we'll skip over that. God says there has to be a Gilgal. The place of cutting away of the flesh. Of some of our bigotry, which we don't think we've got. I'm telling you, in the, in the 50 years I've been a Christian, I've been a major national leader in the Pentecostal church, in the Methodist family, and in the Anglican, and I could never have done those three things unless God had dealt with the fleshness in my life. Now there's choice. How far do you want to go in Northamptonshire? Don't say all the way. How far do you want to go? Because the next thing he did, he took him to Bethel, which means the house of God, which meant now he dealt with the flesh side, they had to get the house of God right. Ready for the increase. Bethel, the house of God. What condition are our houses in? He said, come on, lad. Let me take you to Bethel. Because the first thing that God's got to do is get the church ready for the people. If thousands of people flood into your church next week, the truth is there's not a church in Northamptonshire that could cope with them. And God won't put fish where the net's going to break. But by the time you have progressed in this journey, I tell you this, there'll be many more churches in this county that's going to be ready and they can say bring them on lord the nurse is ready bring them on lord we're ready to absorb them because it's going to change the character of every one of your churches those of you who don't go to big churches because you don't believe in them will be leaving your church because your church will become big without you and i'm not being rude you're going to have to get over this well bless god you know god sent me to a church of 30 because you know i feel very much at home there well folks i tell you that's great but god's not coming back for a church that's not prepared to grow. If what you've got is worth having, hey, a good fish and chip shop never advertises, but when you go there, you always stand in a queue and you never moan because it's good fish and chips. So stop moaning if you can't get in your own church. <laughs> go and run a fish and chip shop and you'll learn what it's worth. Come on. You're standing in a fish and chip shop for hours waiting to go in there. You don't moan. Oh, I'm not coming here again. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Some of you, you'd go home if it was church. And then when you get there, the guy in front of you said, oh, blooming half an hour, he goes, oh, what shall I have? Um. <laughs> you say, you've had all blooming night. And he goes, uh, have you got any row? No, it says we've got no row. Oh, well, what you got? It's up there. And they're going to have 17 portions of chips. You go there, they say, wait for the chips. You'll do that in a fish and chip shop, but would you do that next Sunday in your church when God moves? You can't get your favourite seat. You've got to queue up. And I don't know if I'll stop for a cup of tea afterwards because there's so many people. My God, we laugh at this. We've got to deal with that. Bethel's got to be a place where people want to come. Only a couple of more. Then he took him to Jericho where he revealed again Elijah's weakness. Place of reproach. Are we as churches prepared to deal with the suffering and the reproach and the failure up to now of our ministry. What do I mean? The sick are not healed. The lonely are not put in families. Are we prepared to face the failure of the world? Are we prepared to be in the world and understand that? These women were aborting and miscarrying their children, and Elijah couldn't do a thing 
to help them because of his problem, even though he was a great man of God. He didn't, he didn't solve the problem. He had to recognize there were weaknesses even in his life that he could not solve. We cannot sadly solve everybody's problems in Northamptonshire. We're not equipped yet. But the next generation, Dave, the next generation will do what we couldn't do. The next generation will achieve what we couldn't finish. They'll finish what we couldn't do because we are frail and our generation have taken you so far but if we were going to be the only generation, there would be nothing left for you to do. So we have to admit, as leaders, we haven't done everything we should have done or could have done. But look what's coming up behind now. Because now he takes him to, to, Jer to Jordan, which is the place of separation. He goes over there and he says, can I have this anointing? And he says, yes, if you see me go. What do I get out of this? As he went, he had to keep his eyes, as you said, on the past anointing so that he'd know how to use the present anointing to hand it over to the future anointing. You see, why would we start again from nothing? Why do we just blank ourselves and say, the past didn't know anything? Dave's told us this. So as he saw Elijah go... As you see me go, you will see me come again, said Jesus. Saw him going in fire, saw him going in victory. And so I, as a Pentecostal, started researching our Celtic brothers. And so they did miracles. A thousand years ago, the Benny Hinn and everybody else couldn't perform today. And I thought, that's my cloak. That's what's fluttering down from heaven. That's my heritage in my nation. And I look through the Wesley revivals and I look through the, through, through the Jeffreys revivals and the Welsh revivals. I, I don't live in those, but that's in the cloak. So I studied all the Celts and the early Ryle in Liverpool. First Bishop of Ryle, of Liverpool, Ryle, planted himself 200 churches in Liverpool as well as writing half the Bible in, 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 in theology. Bishop Ryle, read him. He's devastating. First Bishop of Liverpool. It was a heathen place when he went there. He planted 200 churches. They gave him the money to finish his cathedral. He said, that can wait, I'm going to plant churches. 200 churches, one man planted. I want to know about him. I want a bit of that cloak. They're all there. Spurgeon, 10,000 in his congregation at 21. I want to know how he did that. I want a bit of that in the cloak. We don't worship the past, but we want to watch the past and keep our eyes on what God has done already. It'll help me for what he's going to do in the future, Dave. And then he strikes the water and comes back. Now this next generation will do what we didn't do, Dave. Because the first thing he did was to not mock the failures of us but he went to fulfill our dreams that we couldn't do. He goes to Jericho and he throws the salt in the water. He says, yeah, girls, have some happy babies. Oh, this next generation are going to take over from some of us old ones and they're going to say, let's see churches of 1,000 and 2,000 and 3,000. Let's see lots of babies born and not abort. They come to your church for six months and you lose them. Seven months, you lose them. They're one-year-olds, you lose them. Savage by dogs, you lose them. 
No, they're going to say, we're going to see lasting babies in the kingdom. And then his last thing, he goes down before he starts his own. He says, sort that woman out. And they throw her from the window and get rid of her. You see, this next generation, if our generation does what Dave said, will not only have a ministry beyond what we've got, they'll fulfill all the last things we couldn't do, Dave. And that's what can happen in Northamptonshire. You've heard that. You've heard me. I've done it in a way that's caused you to laugh, but hopefully when you laugh, you swallow the medicine. I hope tonight, between what we've said, and we didn't know what each other were going to say, you understand that it's not just a case of one night God's going to go, Whoop! But through these interactions, getting together, your leaders getting together, training and teaching, people coming in, they're going to take all those facets that Dave's talked about, all those things that I've talked to me and laughed about, and they'll all be down, not moduled in the sense of business-like, but you'll look at each one of them and you'll say, how are we in all these? Let me say this finally. Oh, yeah. You two, Dave, have given us a lot to think about. I didn't know it was this much. Folks, I wished some other parts of the country was given this opportunity. Because nothing that Dave has said or I've said tonight is condemning. And nothing we've said is impossible. It just means we've got to change. Final thing. It's easy to change from bad to good. If you've got a bad car, somebody gives you the money, it's easy to buy a new one. If you live in a bad house, it's easy to buy a new one. If you go to a duff church, it's easy to find a new one. But what do you do when what you've got now is good? And there's a reticence amongst Christians to surrender the good for the better. We're having to make changes in our church the coming of next year, which I'm dreading doing. Because at the moment, we're blessed. Got a fantastic network, great church. Just got a brand new associate coming in who will take over for me in the near future. Great man of God, great Bible teacher, really great guy. Wonderful. And we've got to make changes. Next year is our year of purpose. And purpose means a defined meaning. And I'm having to make decisions which means some of our people who have been faithful for many years will feel hurt. Who thinks I want to do it? But why am I doing it? Great church. They tell me one of the largest in the Midlands. Great facilities. Seven worship bands. Great feeding program. With a fourth emergency service, according to our town. For the first time in history, they're giving us money to feed all the poor in the town next year. Podcasts all over the world. Oh, Dave. And God says, that's good. What about the better? 
So my last word to you is, things are going good amongst you. But the pain is, if you surrender the good, for the better. Because there's no need to. You're content. But listen, you only get this life once. And don't settle for good. When we could have. Better. Do you want to pray for him? Let's stand together, shall we? I'm not sure that this evening is quite what you expected. Because last time was very different. It was clear prophetic words which we could rightly get excited about. Rightly. God's been speaking to you this time about the cost, the pain, the need to change, different ways. Circumcision. Let's get the house of God right. Let's get the whole church involved. New generation rising up. And the spread of the Elijah anointing upon the 7,000. There's many. It's not time for loners. But it's a challenge. And if you're willing to face the challenge... Could I just ask you, hold out your hands to the Lord. If you feel I need to think about this more, that's fine. Not trying to manipulate anything. Father, in Jesus' name, we say we're willing for the hard work to face the tough things in our own lives and in our churches. Yes. Because, Lord, we believe you have spoken to us. We believe you've called us together in this county. We believe you're going to do mighty things through us. Yes. But, Lord, we don't want to just see that as some sort of victorious anthem without the practical outworking of burning our ploughing equipment, dealing with all the things that we'd have security in. Mm. Father, we're willing. Lord, I pray that your spirit rests on willing people. Yes, come on, come on, come on. And Lord, I pray, let the emerging generation yes, come on. deal with the things that my generation could not deal with. Come on. 
And may they go far beyond us. Yes, come on. But Lord, we want to lay a platform for that to happen. Yes, come on. Lord, we don't want to give up now. We want to carry on ministering to enable that platform to come on. be secured in the next generation. And Lord, I, and I say to next generation people here. Yes, come on. Be willing to wash the hands and clean the shoes. Come on. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father. I pray, let these words be taken to heart. And let your spirit anoint hearts that are willing to pay the cost and do the hard work. Yes. To make the choice. Thank you, thank Lord, you, thank I you. Pray. Father, I pray, deliver us from a thing that's almost come into the charismatic movement to somehow assume it all just happened. No, it doesn't. And Lord, I pray, transform us, Lord, Whoa. I ask, and let your spirit come upon come on. the willing people in this room and in these churches represented in Northamptonshire. Yes. In Jesus' name, Whoa. amen. Yes. Amen. amen. Wonderful. Amen. Wonderful. No, Dave, you said it all. You've said it all. You know, it's, I think we need to appreciate the way God brought this together the first time. It was prophetic. And tonight we've had some teaching to build something into us because we're in this for the long haul. And uh, I don't think we could end this tonight without singing. These are the days of Elijah. But to understand what we're singing about. And we should understand that better now. And we're equipped to work this out. And uh, before you leave this place tonight, I mean, we're going to take up an offering to bless these two guys. Hug as many people as you can before you leave, okay? We're all the body of Christ, brothers and sisters. That may not have been what you expected tonight. You remember what Dave said, the still small voice. And if you think of it in another way, in 1999 when we came, we had the Spirit. Tonight we had the Word. God just brought the Spirit and the Word together, folks. And that's a sign of something happening, isn't it? <laughs> Father, seal it in our hearts. And may each and every one of us individually and corporately work this out. And let the grace and the love of God flow through our town and our county in a way it's never ever done before, God. That your will and your plans and purposes will be worked out in our lives. We want you to restore honor to your name, Father. For too long, people have profaned your name, Lord. And for too long, people have laughed at the church of Jesus Christ. Father, will you give us such a love for one another that people can see that we're disciples of Jesus. Lord, all across the town, all across the county, all across the nation. Father, do all that you want to do. And let this mighty revival that's been prophesied go from this nation to mainland Europe. And Father, we all want to play a part in this. Every generation, Lord. Every generation. And bring the old and the new together to fulfill your purposes in these days. In Jesus' name, so thank you, David, and thank you, David. Let's give them a cheer.